You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I am joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JC English, both noted authors, uh, speakers, (laughs) uh, pundits. Uh, Either of you running for political office in the near future? Oh, not in the near future. Or the far, yeah. No. For 2032. Jen, Jen Wilkin, 20, 2044. Yeah, well, will I be like 85 then? Yeah, that's, I mean, well, it seems Apparently like that's the right time. That. Yeah, it seems like that's about the right time to get started. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quickly moving away from a field of landmines. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, hey, uh, we wanted to take a minute just to begin this episode to talk a little bit. Um, we spent time this morning on calls with churches, which is something that we do. So we've kind of been together all day. We're recording podcasts now, but this morning we were talking with churches around the country. Uh, we were talking with churches in Philadelphia, Fort Worth, where, where else? Uh, Houston, Topeka. Topeka. Um, and this is something that we do and we feel like maybe our audience does not know that we do this, but it's a kind of a cool thing. JT, why don't you just like quickly help people. What is the train the church cohort that we do? Well, a lot of this got birthed out of just what our passions are. We're really mm-hmm. passionate about discipleship in the context of the local church. And as we started talking about those things publicly, lots of people started asking questions about, hey, how do you how do you run Bible studies? Or how can we start an institute in our environment? Or what's a core class? How do you write curriculum? How do you get people engaged and involved in structured and predictable learning environments? And so those are the things we're passionate about. We do them at our at our three respective churches. And, and people would reach out to us and say, hey, can you help us do that and think about that? And so uh, the, the cohort really is a, a unique opportunity for churches to to consider and think about how they can do that in their context, because some of these things are not just plug and play. A church plant in Philadelphia is different than a mega church in Birmingham. And we've had all of all of, the, of those kinds of churches participate in helping them think through, how do you do sustainable and holistic discipleship there in the context of your local church? And so I guess, gosh, what, what are we, our fifth or sixth cohort now? Maybe a hundred or mm-hmm. so churches have gone through this thing. Yeah, And I, I've got to tell you guys, I, I'm not sure what you would say. I, I didn't know what to expect with the cohort. It requires a lot of work from us. But the feedback that we get from from pastors and ministers and directors of women's ministry has been really, really positive. People are encouraged about about what they're seeing God do in the context of their local churches. Well, I, I was thinking about, we were on some calls earlier today, and a couple of the churches said, uh, yeah, man, because we did this, we feel like it saved us like about 12 months worth of, you know, 12 to 18 months worth of trying to figure stuff out on our own. And I thought, right. yeah, I lived those 12 to 18 months that we just <laughs> saved you, you know, like, right. so I do, like, when I think about it, I'm like, man, I wish someone had done this for us, you know, when we were in the in the building phase, um, just because there really are some shortcuts, like they're not cutting corners. It's just if someone can tell you, hey, if you do this, you're going to regret it. And if you do this, you're going to be glad. And so I think that's a lot of it. And a lot of it is, in some cases, it's reinforcing things people suspected, but they were afraid to take a risk on and saying, no, 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 you should do that. That's going to work. And so, um, yeah, it's been, I think it's, I love it because selfishly, it's kind of encouraging both directions. We get to do something encouraging for local church practitioners and we are local church practitioners. So it's encouraging for us to hear when something sticks. That's right. Yeah, it is. And it is really a community of learning and it's kind of developed into its own little like 
very niche alumni network. I mean, we've got these churches both around the country and now scattered throughout the world that have gone through the train, the church cohort that are really trying to, in some ways, like do an old thing in a new way. They're trying, Mm -hmm. what's that, what's that way you say that, Jen? I just butchered it. An old thing recently forgotten. Yeah. Not that. a new thing. An old <laughs> yeah. thing recently an forgotten. Old thing that was recently so good, forgotten. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for um, listening to me with intent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And a real testimony that. to the cohort. Um, but <laughs> uh, an old thing recently forgotten. No, it's been really cool because we get to spend a lot of time with practitioners. And you're right, um, Jen. It is kind of a two way street of learning. I feel like we're learning from them, they're learning from us. And because we've now gotten to do this at like, Uh, we've personally gotten to do this at three different churches. It's been really fun to then get to see that multiply to, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, up to uh, about a hundred other churches that have been able to jump in and do this. And just to see how they paint this philosophy and how they build uh, these systems. It's really, it's been really encouraging, really cool thing. JT, if somebody was listening to this and they were like, oh, wow, I didn't know you guys did this and they want more information, where would they go? Well, I think the first thing to think about is if you're thinking this might not be for me, it, it might not be. Uh, this this really is for ministry leaders, but it's not just for for lead pastors and executive leaders. This is for people who are trying to think about how to build sustainable learning environments, discipleship spaces in the context of the local church. So before you opt out, I would ask you to consider opting in. Maybe this is something that that God could use to help you, regardless of your position in the life of your local church, take the next step as it relates to discipleship. If that's you, just jump on our website. We have a website, trainingthechurch.com. You can click on the cohort and see that we put the whole nine-week structure right there of exactly what we do and what you're going to learn. You're going to get calls with us and Q&As, conversations that we can have with you. And we have a spring cohort that begins in February. This is a great time to be thinking about that budget cycle season for your church, thinking about what you guys might be doing next year. We would love to see lots of you apply for our spring 2023 cohort. And you can apply right there on the website, trainingthechurch.com. There we go. There we go. Well, we are, have been talking about the doctrine of God this season, uh, and uh, let's do some quick fire review, okay? Just lightning round. JT, who is God? Two things I want you to think about when you think about who God is. The first is, is that God is Trinity. God eternally exists as one God or one essence and three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, are, 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 it's the God that saves us. He is the one who loves us, cares for us, nurtures us, and ultimately is the one who's with us in the Spirit and will come for us. Uh, this is the God that we see in the story of redemptive history. But then related specifically to his attributes, which we'll talk about in a minute, about incommunicable, incommunicable and communicable attributes, is that God is the creator and we are his creation. One of the most important things that the Bible begins with is that we are not the creator, God is. We are his creation. And so God being Trinity and God being creator are two of the most fundamental aspects about what it means for God to be God and for us to be us. That's exactly right. Jen, what's an incommunicable attribute? An incommunicable attribute, Kyle, is one that is true about God, but is not intended or designed to be true of us. And so when we talk about bearing the image of God, there are things that we think about that are true of Him that can also be true of us. And when we think about His incommunicable attributes, we're thinking about things like His omniscience. You and I will not ever be, nor are we now, omniscient. We do not hold all knowledge. Not only that, we are not designed to hold 
hold all knowledge. Um, so there are ways that we are limited um, and God is not, uh, and, and ways that if we were to try to become like him, we would actually be practicing idolatry. So God is sovereign and I am not. God is omnipresent and I am not. And so we've actually had some fun exploring ways that we do actually uh, convince ourselves or or um, or lie to ourselves that we we can be those things, and it's not great. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, hey, Kyle, what's a communicable attribute? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Kyle, what's a communicable attribute? <laughs> oh, wow, thanks for asking, Jen. Uh, a communicable attribute is an attribute that we share with God in kind, but not degree. Meaning, like uh, we like God is love. Um, and we can love, that's a communicable attribute. So we can share it in kind, meaning we can love because we've been created in the image of God and God loves, but we don't share it by degree. God is love. We are not love. So it's not essential to us. So it just means that like, yes, we can love, we can be holy. That would be another communicable attribute. We can, mm-hmm. while we're not uh, omniscient, meaning we, we can't know all things, we can know. And because we can know and we can love and we can be holy, these are communicable attributes, meaning they're not attributes that are reserved for God, though he possesses them to a degree that we do not and in a way in which we don't. So communicable attributes. And today we're talking about two of the communicable attributes, holy and loving. Holy and loving. Uh, Holy language is language that is important. It's crucial. It's all over the Bible. And I I fear that we've lost it. I fear that we've lost it. Holiness language. What does it mean to say God is holy? I have sometimes defined it as utter purity of character. Mm. That may not be original to me for all you plagiarism hounds, Mm. but utter purity of character. In other words, statements like God is light in him, there is no darkness at all Mm. would be um, metaphorical references to the utter purity of God. There is nothing that sullies him. Yeah. It's a moral perfection. Yeah. Right. It's completeness. So there's no lack. To say that God is holy is not merely to say that God does not possess those things that would render someone unholy. It's that God uniquely possesses everything that does make someone or something holy. He possesses them mm-hmm. in complete perfection. There is no fault. There is no lack. There is not even a um, a, a slight degree to which God does not possess every moral perfection that there is and is morally perfect in his nature. Mm-hmm. Um, we see, I think about Isaiah six, right? That's the passage. I, I don't know why, but that's the one that I always go to. I, I always think about that mm-hmm. one too. When I think about how, you know, um, Isaiah is brought up in the vision of the Lord, uh, and he hears the cry of holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what does this proclamation of holy do to Isaiah? It, it reveals Isaiah's defilement. So mm-hmm. there's some purity language, there's some cleanliness language that oftentimes gets brought in to the concept of holiness. I think that's true in the Old and the New Testament, that it does have a strain or an emphasis in its, uh, in its usage to communicate not just moral perfection, but the sense of not being defiled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which holiness is, is not just God is holy, he's morally perfect. It means he's not defiled, nor can he be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's exactly what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6. The way that the Hebrew language works, though I do not pretend to be a Hebrew scholar, uh, nothing close to it. But, you know, Isaiah describes 
seeing God as holy, holy, holy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sing we sing songs about the holiness of God re- yeah. with repetition. The way Hebrew works is repetition is superlative. It's one of those things where, like, if uh, if a Hebrew is going to talk about a hole, they would say a hole, like a, like a hole in the ground. But if they were going to say, like, it was a really big hole, they would call it a whole hole. If they were going to say this was the biggest hole, hole in the ground possible. It's a whole, whole, whole. Or you could say that anyway. She's pretty, pretty, pretty. Or he's strong, strong, strong. There wasn't a superlative to say they're very strong or they're the strongest. It's repetition. So when it comes to the holiness of God, and this goes back to your comment earlier, Kyle, about perhaps losing this, is this is one of the attributes of God, though attributes aren't meant to stand out. This is one that certainly is a drumbeat of scripture, Mm -hmm. the holiness of God. It's not just that he's holy. It's that he is utterly holy. Mm -hmm. This is a characteristic, a feature of God that is meant to be shocking to us. He is the Holy One of Israel. None are like him. Mm-hmm. Has somebody said that before? Well, the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Um, Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And then 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And so um, even though holiness is um, a an, an attribute that we can take on, um, he is utterly holy, utterly That's and right. completely holy. We are progressively being made holy, and we yeah. call that dun 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 sanctification. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at Courage for Life Bible That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. But the, but the under, like, it's interesting because holy, like you just said, Jen, holiness is a communicable attribute and, but like all communicable attributes, this is an attribute of which God is, uh, by nature, um, infinitely, yeah, infinitely holy, mm-hmm. and and like you said, utterly unique in His holiness. So mm-hmm. even though we can share holiness, and we're actually like commanded to be holy, uh, we are not expected to be holy as God is holy because we cannot be. Right. Well, and that's actually a really important distinction to make because there actually have been people, this blows my mind, but there have actually been people who have taught Christian perfectionism. In other words, that perfect holiness can be attained 
in this lifetime. I'm, I don't mean to laugh while I'm saying it because these were genuine uh, believers who who cared a lot mm-hmm. about the Bible. But I, it is hard for me to know how how someone could get there. Uh, but I will say that even even as we see that I would call I would call holiness the overarching um, attribute of all of God's communicable attributes. It touches mm. on all of them because we want to be. He is perfect in love. He is perfect in um, right. justice. He is perfect in mercy. So it, it it overarches every single one of his other attributes. Um, but also the the call to us is clear in Scripture that we are to be holy as He is holy. It is just. It, in the, in the Old Testament, it just keeps showing up um, in Leviticus uh, eleven forty four and 45, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate your, the, yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he repeats it again, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. It comes up again in Leviticus 19, 2. It comes up again in Leviticus 20, 26. And then it keeps popping up in the New Testament, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you therefore be perfect as your um, heavenly father is perfect. And then Peter actually uh, quotes, you therefore be holy, uh, for he is holy. Uh, It's everywhere. Um, It's not just an Old Testament concept. And it, I would argue, be holy for I am holy is the simplest way to state literally any command, any call to obedience that you see in the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's exactly right. You just took the words out of my mouth. I was about to take us to First Peter, but that's exactly right, that there is this call, Old and New Testament alike, towards holiness. And the holiness is intimately related to like um, the, the concepts of, of justice and righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to be just is to be someone who is holy in their dealings with other people. Mm-hmm. And their dealings with the world to be righteous is someone is to say that someone is holy, is holy. They have, um, they are someone who is in alignment with the character of God. They're somebody who is faithful to God's promises and faithful to Yahweh specifically. And so, I do think that holiness is often neglected, and I think that it is neglected because it seems impossible. Um, I think that a lot of times the way that Christians talk about holiness is very, uh, it makes it feel like it's an incommunicable attribute. Mm-hmm. Like people talk about holiness, like, well, only God could be holy. And it's like, yes, God is utterly unique in, in his holiness, but scripture is quite clear that God is inviting and calling his people to be holy. And when he does that, he appeals to himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, I think, like me. Yeah. Yeah, like I think me. one of the one of the ways that we've seen it play out in Christian subculture has been I have sometimes called which is probably an inflammatory term but I've called it celebratory failureism where mm-hmm. we go guys guys I just fail and I just fail and yeah. but there is grace there for me guys I mean praise God new morning mercies mm-hmm. now I don't I don't want to diminish, you know, that that is absolutely true, but we don't want to celebrate that, that we fail. Um, we want to say, but I'm going to get up and run the race again today because I'm called to be holy as he is holy. So yeah, I'm going to keep trying. It's not the same kind of trying that we tried when we were not in Christ. Um, when mm-hmm. we were in Christ, we tried to be perfect so that we could be awesome. You know, and this is be holy so that you can be like me, Um, not me, Jen. I know JT and Kyle sometimes get confused and think I'm perfect. but It's so confusing uh, for us. It really is. It really is. Um, I mean, what's not confusing is that JT is not. (laughs) 
Um, so, <laughs> that is true. Where there is confusion, where there is confusion with one of here. you, there is clarity with the other. Um, That's right. No, but I do think you're. I do think you're right. Um, there is. I, I feel like this is a hobby horse that I try to get on, and, and you, anybody who's listening, I've just been waiting for this. I've been. I, knew, I saw this. I was like, let's go. I know. Well, what you're, I know where you're going. Go for it. It's good. It's a good little pitch. I just like to picture Kyle galloping around on a little hobby horse. <laughs> A little, a little hobby horse. Trust Not me, hobby if, horse. no. If, if I'm if I'm galloping around on a horse, it has to be a Clydesdale. Okay, um, that's that's just facts. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think we talk about holiness. No, I got. I'll give you guys a minute here. That's funny, Kyle. Good job. Hey, man, I'm doing what I can. Um. Is it going to be a miniature Clyde still? Like a little one? (laughs) Stop it. We're supposed to be talking about the holiness of God. We are. And, you know, it's funny because I was showing Lauren a clip of last last night and I was like um, laughing about smoking, ginseng, smoking drugs. Yeah. And my my sweet wife was like, well, that's what you would say, right? Smoking drugs. And I'm like, if you're a narc, if you're like, like, I promise you. None of if the Wilkins kids laughed. Jump, if it's twenty-two Jump Street, <laughs> yeah, none of the Wilkins kids laughed. They were like, "Yeah, that's just it, yeah, right? Don't smoke drugs. Just don't. Um, just don't. Well, and, okay. and on the topic of not smoking drugs, holiness. Um, we yes, don't talk, there we go. We don't talk enough. I don't think we talk enough about holiness, and yeah. I do think I don't blame the gospel-centered movement for this. But I do not think they went far enough in their message. I don't think it was helpful to tell a generation of, by and large, virtuous, fatherless, motherless, mentorless, sageless people. You know what doesn't really matter? Your behavior. Right. (laughs) And I... I have long since wanted to write an article that would um, almost assuredly get me canceled. That would, the title of which would be something like the gospel centered moment has precipitated the moral collapse of Christianity. In America. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because for our listeners I, of knowing faith, we just hate <laughs> hyperbole in all its forms. Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't think that, we can say too much about something that God, there isn't a passage, there a verse in Hebrews that literally says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without yeah. which no one will see the Lord. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that the road into the, in, into the new heavens and new earth is paved with our holiness. It is assuredly not. It's paved with grace. But the road is a road of journeying towards holiness, and it requires the cultivation of virtue and the neglect and denial of vice over sin. And I do fear that the way that Christians have resigned themselves, it's, it almost seems like you said, Jen, where it's like this kind of like, well, I don't want to be self-righteous. Only God is holy. And, and when Christians tell me that, I, my response is, I hope that's not true. Mm-hmm. I hope you're not telling me that you don't want to be holy. Well, first, or that you don't think you can be. Go ahead. Yeah, First Thessalonians four, three, and seven. For this is the will of God. Does anybody want to know the will of God for their life? 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know, you know, and when I started thinking about this, I mean, it was kind of early on in my entrance into the gospel-centered space, and I really, actually, I didn't know if any of the heavy hitters cared about it or not. I was not a heavy hitter, but I was seeing it in the mommy blogosphere a whole mm-hmm. lot, you know, and it was really bothering me. It was like failing at things was just an opportunity to show God's grace, and, and it becomes an excuse, you know, for because holiness is hard, and I don't think that we necessarily have said that enough. Um, we understand that our justification costs us nothing, and that's absolutely true, but our sanctification costs us everything. It's mm-hmm. the laying down of self-will, and it's the laying down of self-worship, and all of the self-fill-in-the-blanks, right? Uh, and so I do think, again, you know, that it's the over-messaging of the justification theme at the expense of the sanctification theme. And we ought not to do that. We ought to be able to say it is a glorious thing that our justification can never be taken from us. And it is a high and holy calling that we can be called to, to, to be perfect as he is perfect. Yep. And I, yeah, so maybe, Oh, sorry. No, because the next one I'm going to hit, it's going to be, I'm going to hit it harder. (laughs) <laughs> okay, great. I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll, I'll be. I'll Giddy be in the bunker up. over here. <laughs> Giddy up! Oh my goodness. <laughs> We've been. There's been a lot of talk. Mm-hmm. A lot of talk. A lot of talk, and I'm not saying it's not needed. There's been a lot of talk about justice. There's been a lot of talk about systemic justice. There's been a lot of talk about social justice. We need to talk about it. There is an outworking of righteousness, justice, and holiness, but I do not think there has been a corresponding level of attention to the question of personal holiness. And justice is the overflow of holiness. Holiness is the heart walking in alignment with God. Justice is the outworking of that in the horizontal ethical dimension of life. You do not have one without the other. And I am fearful that we're going with it. Part of the reason we can't seem to move forward the justice conversation is because we never circled back on the holiness conversation. And I do think that we, there needs to be a, um, a real reckoning with what do we actually believe about holiness living and contrast living? Because if we're not ready to do that, I think any antidote to the question of justice and injustice is going to be found wanting. And I think we're discovering that right now. Well, and I want JT to say words and I can tell from his demeanor that he's ready to, but I just want to throw in there that when it says you also be holy, it means y'all also be holy. Like it's Mm -hmm. that all y'all. It means you, the church, you, the collective representation of God um, on earth, you guys need to be holy. And so there's the individual witness and there's also the collective witness. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to decide which is more problematic in our current moment. Yeah. We need a Texas version of the Bible. All y'all. There is one. Well, Did you know that? Direct. Some guy, he, he, that. he put together a widget that would, that would convert every, um, every one of those um, second, person, second plural. person plurals to, a, to yeah. a y'all. I think that was John Dyer. And was, it John? I, was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it yeah, was. No, another another DTS alum. That's he does a lot great. of those Good Bible stuff. translation stuff. He's he's great. Good yeah, stuff. I, I, I agree with everything you've said. I don't know that I have a lot to add, Kyle or, or Jen. I think one of the categories that I might give, whether it relates to individual or corporate holiness, like let's let's think about the the two basic categories we've been talking about. 
is we've given some cautions. One of the cautions is Christian perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be both individual, I think I can be perfect, or corporate. We can have a perfect Christian nation, or a perfect Christian church, or a perfect Christian community. So individual per- perfectionism and corporate perfectionism does not exist. In the same way, antinomianism, like I can't be holy, the law doesn't matter, I'm not mm-hmm. called to personal righteousness, isn't true. And the same thing should also be true corporately. Uh, corporate things like churches, nations, groups of people should be called towards holiness. And so one of the things that I would encourage our listeners to think about is what we're trying to say here is avoid both of those ditches. Avoid an over-individualistic or over-systematized corporate understanding of holiness and justice, and also avoid any system that would lead you towards perfectionism, because that will always end in failure. And then also avoid a celebration of failure. I love what you just said, Jen. We can... uh, be confident that our justification will never be taken from us so that when we fall, that means we can get back up and be sanctified. We don't just celebrate the failure. And that should be true for individuals and for collectives. JT, you were a big help to me, actually both of you guys, when I was working on the book on the Ten Commandments, because I was having a hard time parsing out the idea of like, when we are holy, when we when we obey, like when we demonstrate mm-hmm. holiness, um, I was trying to get to the idea of on earth as it is in heaven, and I was saying things like, I said, is it proper to say that we bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth? Mm. Um, and you were like, no, 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 we we will never bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth. Right. Um, but what we can do is we can um, we can almost behave like as a foretaste uh, of that of what what it will be like one day. And um, and right. so I think that's a, an important point. It was one that I don't think I had really thought through, and it it relates to what you just said. Like our goal is not to have. Uh, what only heaven will give us now. It is to make mm-hmm. people long for what we'll have. Mm-hmm. Is that, which, exactly is that, right. am I saying it right? Yeah, I think so. So like, it, yes. Yeah. And we're always, I think what, what I was trying to say with that last example is we're always trying to live in the tension, live in the tension yeah. of both the individual and the corporate, live in the tension of, of striving to be perfect while recognizing that we're not. If we go in either of those ditches on either of those topics, we'll, 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 we'll run, um, into some serious problems. And so the guardrails are are meant to be there intentionally for us. And so what we what we don't want to say, I taught in the Storyline Institute last night, and we were, we were talking about the kingdom of God and the Psalms. And I, I made the comment that we don't build God's kingdom. We don't extend God's kingdom. God's kingdom is meant to be received. That mm-hmm. is God doing for us that which we could never do for ourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to pray for. Mm-hmm. Our Father who's in heaven, your kingdom come. And so his mm-hmm. kingdom citizens, we're those who get to receive that kingdom. But as genuine citizens of that kingdom, we get to be a foretaste of what it's like to live as kingdom mm-hmm. citizens today. So like I, I was even teaching uh, on Sunday in our church, like that that's the moment of communion. In communion, we're both looking back and looking forward, trying to bring both of those realities present to this moment, that there there was a day when the king of the world was crucified for us and for our salvation, and we're celebrating that. We're also looking forward and bringing that moment toward to this moment now, like pulling it back so that we might celebrate, because we know that we're going to celebrate with him forever in the kingdom. And so when it comes to these incommunicable and communicable attributes, part of what we're doing with these communicable ones is saying, you're supposed to be like this. What you should not do is expect that you're going to be exactly like God in this. 
because mm-hmm. that's a ditch. And what you should not do is expect that you cannot have it because right. that's the other ditch. Yeah, that's a great way of saying it. And let's talk about like what happens when we pursue holiness. The foundation that we pursue holiness on, because holiness isn't just out there. Again, God is holy, but God is also love. And sometimes we think about those as like, well, how could it be, you know? Uh, never the twain shall mix. Uh, uh, holiness and love, you know, holiness is all about what, what you should and shouldn't, and love is all about just accepting anything. And yet, the way that holiness and love speak to one another in the character of God or how they should be emulated in the character of our lives. So what does it mean to say that God is love and how is that different from how we often think about love in our culture or how we use the word love? Well, uh, you know, I love um, tacos and I also love God. So we have to always make sure that we think about love, God's love in a way that is bigger than the way that we sometimes utilize the term in English. We have a limited number of words for the way that we talk about things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the way that God is loving is um, a, a giving relational statement. It is a, an, uh, it's sometimes been referred to as an act of the will uh, versus just an emotion. But I would be curious to hear what you guys would say about whether you would assign an emotional component to it. That's the question. That's the question. I can't believe you asked it. I know. I, I was like, really surprised I don't want to answer it. I just want to ask it. It's not that I, I can't mean, believe that you asked it. I can't believe it was asked <laughs> is what I meant to say. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm in women's circles a lot. And so the, yeah. the distinction around emotion is really important. It's one that's not always made for us. And so I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah. What are your thoughts, JT? I want to see if I can simplify this because we've had this conversation a few times on the podcast and I feel like it hasn't been helpful for people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> so we'll I would say actually I would say one of the number one comments I get in DMs <laughs> about knowing faith is about every time we bring this up and somebody asking me, I'm not sure I fully understand. I'm like, neither do I. <laughs> so honestly. we're doing great. Uh, we're doing yeah. great. So since you don't understand, Kyle, let me help you out. Okay. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, when we speak of love in human terms. We typically are talking about an an emotion, an emotion that can go up and down. I love Macy, and I love Thomas, and I love Bailey, and I'd like to believe that even though I'm a human being, I would love them unconditionally no matter what. Mm -hmm. But if we're candid, we all have, like Jen used the example of tacos. I love some tacos more than I love other tacos. I love, uh, uh, or or, or somebody that I love might do something to me that changes my love for them, not in Mm -hmm. terms of maybe the... The, the nature of it, but the, the the quality of it or the extent of it. Like we've talked about trust in this. If somebody breaks my trust, I'm likely to love them a little bit differently, especially if they're not blood-related or covenant-related family. Uh, God isn't like that. And mm-hmm. so when we talk about God being impassioned or when systematic theology talks about God being unchangeable or immutable, something we've already talked about in the podcast— One thing that's important when we think about love as a feeling or as an emotion is feelings and emotions change. And it's actually really good news that God's love for us isn't a feeling in the same way that we experience love. Mm -hmm. God's love is a static disposition of the will towards his people that is forever unchanging. And that's really good news. So when we talk about love as a feeling as people, that's okay. 
But God's love is fundamentally better because he's committed to himself and his covenant more than he's committed towards a disposition or feeling towards us. Mm -hmm. It's a static covenantal commitment. I do actually think that the analogy of a parent is helpful here. In, you know, is it, it, It's a limited metaphor, like all metaphors are. But if anyone here ever had a parent say to them, there is nothing that you can do that can make me not love you, um, that is the kind of thing a parent says because they're, they're, they're not saying, I'm, I will always feel love toward you in every moment. Like, in fact, um, I remember my stepmom telling me, uh, hey, there are going to be times where you're just, you're going to, you'll always, you know, like you'll love your kids, but you're not always going to like each of them. It's like sometimes you're going to go through extended <laughs> periods of time where you're like, that one is driving me crazy. And uh, it helped me because it didn't, it didn't mean that I had removed my love. It meant that I didn't always have the feelings that went along with the relationship, yeah. but the relationship was never at stake. And so I do think it is uh, important to, and, and then of course we know that because we're talking about human relationships, that sometimes human relationship is at stake. So understand that the metaphor only goes so far, but I think the closest we can come to understanding it is that love for a parent toward a child that is, in many cases, a determined act of the will um, toward right. a child who who uh, who may not even want to receive that love in certain seasons, may push it away. And so um, I think of that when you, I loved the way that, how did you say it? You said a static, say it again, JT, do you know how you said yeah, it? Yeah, a static determined act of the will. Like, yeah. This, this is something that, and that's, I think the, let's get to the payoff for that is that yeah. means like, if we, if we, if we think about the love of God, the same way we think about, we love each other, that's a little scary because mm-hmm. even in the best human relationships, like the most, the most good and right, mm-hmm. there's still that sense of like, but is their feeling or disposition going to change towards yes. me? When we talk about God's love, we're saying since his disposition and and uh, uh, will towards you is unchanging, that is love. Yeah. He's seen all of you and not going anywhere. He knows exactly who you are and he's staying. And he's not going to learn something about JT English or Jen or Kyle or you who are listening and say, I find that unlovely, which means I love them a little bit less or my love might be changing towards them. Mm-hmm. His love is that he is determined to love you to the end, no matter what. I would just add to this, like one of the things we're seeing is how when we make meditation on his attributes and we sort of, it's almost like you have a box full of uh, gems and you're holding up two at a time and placing them next to each other and saying, oh, those look really nice together, or holding up another two. And so he's, all, everything is true about God all of the time, but it is a really good and, um, and, and instructive and also devotional exercise to think. Think about how God's immutability colors the way we understand his love. Think about the way that God, that's right. what JT was just doing. Think about how God's omniscience colors the way that we think about his love. The fact that I am fully known and not rejected, that his love is a static act of the will toward me, even though he knows every single thing that there is to know about me. Um, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful reflection. Yeah, uh, his omnipresence right. as it relates to his love. Do you see what I'm saying? Like you, you can pick each of these and line them up next to each other and feel um, how his holiness grows in your estimation and his glory grows. I love it. That's right. I love that too. So if that's God's love, 
mm-hmm. God's love is a communicable attribute. How does that view of God's love? We've been talking about this already, but let's just land it here. Yes, God's love is incredible. It's different from the loves of this world. But there are shadows and figments of it. But if the love, is, if His love is a communicable attribute, meaning we are to love. You think about like Scripture says, you know, we love because God first loved us, right? So on the foundation of the love of God, how does that shape the way that we love other people? How do we practice this communicable attribute, right? It seems like a principal way is that if God's love is permanently fixed, forever faithful, unchanging, that we at least, we, we strive for faithfulness in our love, right? Like that's a way that we practice this love that God has granted. We know we'll do it imperfectly, but that's the ideal. That's the aspiration. That's the target, right? Yeah. My, uh, my grandparents are 94 years old. They live in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, they've been married for 71 years. Uh, just one of those couples, you're like salt of the earth, Midwest, just love each other. He wakes up every single day. He, he has a, a pretty serious form of dementia uh, in this kind of late stage of his life. And he still wakes up every single day and looks at my grandmother and says, Marjorie, you're more beautiful than you've ever been. Is she? Now, of course, in some sense, we'd say no. But mm-hmm. in covenantal love, in his eyes, she is mm-hmm. because he's committed himself to her forever. And in the same way, she's committed him herself to him in some of his most uh, challenging moments, 94-year-old dementia uh, and, and, and Alzheimer's, she's saying, I'm not going anywhere. And yeah. these are two Christ followers who in a moment That's where right. we're being told, get yours, do you, pursue love, be exactly what, do, do whatever you want to do. What, what we do as Christians, and Jesus tells his disciples this, they'll know you by their love. And I'm not just highlighting mm-hmm. the sexual revolution that basically says, do whatever you can to be loved. Christians mm-hmm. are the ones who are saying, I'll do whatever I can to love another, to see them in all of their beauty and in all of their failures and represent and reflect God's love towards us in a way that says, in your hardest moments, I'm here. This is not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of my will to never leave you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I do just always caveat um, in any of these conversations, and I know that JT and Kyle would, um, we've had so many conversations about this and about the potential for abusive situations. I do always caveat this by saying that we are very well aware that there are some cases in which the most loving thing a person can do is to put a boundary between themselves and someone else. Um, God is, God is unbound and God is perfect and holy in his love. We, uh, we, we live within boundaries. Um, that's what we do. We're, we're humans. That's, that's part of what being human is. And so, um, we obviously don't want to diminish the beauty of the ideal. Um, but we do also want to, um, make sure that we never lose sight of the fact that there are times, um, when the boundary is the best way to love just, you know, based on, uh, uh, an individual situation to apply a wisdom principle. Principle. I know um, a friend who, who is her spouse had a significant mental health issue um, that meant that the only way she could remain in loving relationship with him was to divorce him and then care for him as his uh, divorced wife, because otherwise um, the, 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 the economic realities of his situation uh, were, were going to drag the whole family down. She looks more like Christ in, in that situation um, because she found a way to love him that perhaps fell outside of the normal ways that we would think about loving someone. 
Um, but then I would also point to so many examples like JT has, even in my own marriage, I feel the way that um, the way that Jeff's and my love has grown over the years as a determined act of the will um, is a positive um, expression of, of something that is true of God toward us. And so just if you're listening to this and, and you're looking for how you can live this out, um, look at each relationship and ask, how can I be more like Christ in the way that I love this person? Um, and, and look for how your determined act of the will can shape that relationship. You're not God. Um, and sometimes you do have to draw a boundary. Uh, but um, our, our default setting should be, um, how can I look for a way to, to give a love that, that is, is, is determined? That's good. Well, God is holy and loving, and we are called to holiness and to love as a reflection of Him and His character in our lives. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Leave us a review. Drop a question in there. We'd love to consider it for an upcoming Q&A episode. Uh, and don't miss out on trainingthechurch.com if you're interested in finding out more about that leadership cohort that we run. If you're a leader in the life of your church, vocational or lay, um, this could be a great thing to check out. Go to trainingthechurch.com and see how you could potentially apply and be accepted for the spring 2023 nine-week cohort. So... We hope you enjoy the discussion. We'll see you on the next episode. Grace and peace.